We're in business to save the planet, and we use making clothes to do that. The cure for depression is action. Every one of us has to step up and do what you can according to what your resources are. Hello friends, how's it going? That was the voice of Patagonia's Yvonne Chouinard and this is Type 2, a podcast from Looking Sideways in association with Patagonia in which I explore the intersection between the outdoors, action sports and activism. In each show I've been meeting people who are using their passion and involvement with the cultures that we're all passionate about to try and create change. We've been discussing the issues they're involved in, the change they're seeking to create, the difficulties involved and the rewards that follow. So after four years, bit of an announcement, this is actually the final episode of Type 2 in its current iteration and what a fitting guest I've got for this landmark and climactic episode current president of Patagonia Inc Jenna Johnson who I had the pleasure of speaking to while on my recent visit to Ventura where I spent a couple of days at Patagonia HQ in February 2023. So let's have a bit of Jenna intel firstly. She is yet another Patagonia lifer I met a lot of them during my trip to Ventura, who began her career on the shop floor and then rose through the ranks initially as a product geek. I'm sure she won't mind me using that term, having chatted to her, before ascending to the higher echelons of company leadership, which is where she sits today. Jenna is one of the senior leaders at Patagonia, and she is directly involved in actually delivering the company's much publicised shift in direction from private ownership to this whole earth is our only shareholder deal. Indeed, if you recall, it was Jenna who put the whole thing pretty bluntly at the actual announcement itself when she said, we're here to talk about a really big fucking deal. So I was really privileged to grab Jenna for an hour and sit down for this chat. Of course, we covered a career as we always do, but really I was interested in discussing some of the themes that I began to discern while I spent some time at HQ in Ventura. Stuff like how storytelling runs like a particularly um, vibrant seam through the Patagonia universe, how products and this concept of product activism has always been a key pillar of the company, how problem solving has also always been at the heart of the company ethos, how the criticisms that were levelled at Patagonia post the announcement, as everyone seems to call it, were actually nothing new and were the type of thing that have been... um, targeted at the company for about 50 years which is something that I found quite interesting Um, but above all I was interested in understanding a bigger question does this announcement signal a shift from the reluctant thought leadership that has been a hallmark of the Patagonia story to a more overt form of campaigning leadership and what does the next 50 years hold for the company weighty stuff really but Jenna's great we had a really good laugh doing this Um, got into it quickly um, and it's a really good one. So huge thanks to Jenna for being such a good sport and for looking after me so well that morning. And also thanks Corey, Corley, Louise, Alex, Ryan, everyone else at Patagonia for being so welcoming to me while I was over. Um, I will be back at the end. In the meantime, here's me and Jenna. Enjoy. So how are you doing? Nice to meet you. Thanks for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Yeah. So um, this is this weather's noteworthy event by the sounds <laughs> of it. Like, you know, I'm the classic like Brit abroad who's come here and, you know, packed a bag of shorts and T-shirts and it's kind of like being at home. So this is really unusual weather. Yeah, we pride ourselves in um, having 
pretty consistent weather pattern every day. It's about the same temperature. The sky looks about the same shade of blue. And um, so when we get some weather, it's actually pretty exciting. And you can feel the energy of everybody lifting as the wind there's wind and there's potentially rain and it's a it's a big deal here yeah everyone's like there's a real everyone's like wow have you seen the weather like yeah hopefully. and everyone gets to pull out their clothing that we work so hard on we're like oh yeah, get to pull no, out that, that down jacket that we've been wanting to wear for a while or the rain jacket i think that's why in the uk have you been to the uk yeah, Where, yeah, yeah. oh yeah where have you been oh i've been all over okay yeah right but like yeah obviously you know we're like very seasonal you know yeah. i mean yeah. this this would be a kind of classic summer's day in england really um but yeah that's why i really like autumn or you know fall like yeah. uh get, i do miss fall here get the jackets such a out beautiful season yeah yeah get the clothes out yeah. yeah um so you said you've not done many of these but i did listen to your jane goodall one that you you were a guest oh, yeah. on yeah how was that oh it was that was amazing what an honor it was such an honor and it was so casual and just really um just great to kind of chat with her and um it just yeah I mean it just felt very casual and and amazing she's been um she knows our brand really well so it was nice to kind of get her history and she's um I think she's just one of the most amazing and influential women that is alive today so yeah um, yeah no she's brilliant she's like I'd love to get her on the show actually and it sounds like you She's been collaborating with you guys for a while, right? Like over the years. Yeah, over the years, a little bit of collaboration um, on the environmental front. Um, yeah, we've had some some overlap, and she was wearing a Patagonia jacket that she'd had for a really long time. And um, yeah, I've seen her. She's amazing. She is, I think, one of the things I found most um, inspiring about her is that at her age she looked at the pandemic as certainly problematic in a lot of regards, but her story of being able to do three talks a day sometimes because everything was virtual then and the amount of people she could influence because of the shift that happened with people tapping in virtually to speakers and speaker series was really profound. I mean, she would spend like, God, like 350 days a year on the road, you know, and she's getting older. Yeah. She's got an amazing level of energy yeah. and it was, passion. It's kind of pouring out of her, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? She's one of these people that like, it, it's almost, she, her. Insp- she's very inspirational, obviously, but I think, I think you're right. I think it's the energy that she kind of exudes, isn't it? And the kind of almost like, she's a bit of an ideal, isn't she? You know, somebody like that, like yeah. is a, a bit of a kind of, because she must be like late 80s now she's in her 80s for sure yeah and you can feel with her I felt it for sure in a one-on-one conversation with her like she's given it her all yeah she's given it her all for as long as she's got she's like in it to try to motivate people educate people inspire people yeah um and you just look at somebody like that and you're like wow thank god we have you in this world yeah you know and the work that she's done has just it's changed us. Yeah. And for women, for sure, to look at somebody like that who just had the personal conviction and passion to, at that time, break stereotypes, gender stereotypes, sure. and just get after work that she felt really passionately and was emotionally drawn to. Yeah. And then to be able to build the intellect around what her heart was telling her was the 
was the direction that she needed to go. Yeah. And to be so successful is um, just in- immensely inspiring. Have role models like that been important to you through your career? Yeah, definitely. Um, some of them I know, some of them I don't know. I will be honest, and I don't say this because we're talking about Patagonia and I work at Patagonia, but definitely some of the, the largest mentors in my life, the people who have shaped me the most, have been women here at Patagonia. Yeah. It's quite amazing having worked in the outdoor industry for quite a long time before I came to Patagonia and then to come to Patagonia and have very strong leadership from women. From um, the beginning as well, right? From the beginning. Yeah, because yeah. early 70s, not common. Not common. Yep. And we often talk about Yvonne, who has been such a powerful driver of shaping this company. Yeah. But his wife, equally as powerful. Yeah, sure. Yeah, a very, very important driver of the culture and the way this company has come together. Do you think that's, I mean, that's such an interesting point. And do you think that's just because of the way that our society almost like latches onto? to men in that way do you know what i mean because if you because yeah if you mention patagonia in terms of role models everybody's going to save one they're not going to say melinda right so is that is do you just think that's that's almost like the because our society is so patriarchal that is just the deal like it, it it defaults to that if you like um i think it could be some of that i think it's also just individual personalities to be honest and right. so i think yvonne is um much more external he just he talks to large groups he goes out he does these things um and is totally fine with that um whereas there's other people and i do think that it tends to be women but it doesn't have to be women i think it's just a personality trait of like getting shit done behind the scenes you know and like making stuff happen and not necessarily wanting to be the voice or the face of it, of something and yeah. like do the speaking tours and you know the interviews and stuff like that like that's not that's not everybody's gig and so everyone finds their own place like yeah. that's why I um I know you need figures like Yvonne and this is certainly not to discount anything that Yvonne's done because Yvonne has been obviously instrumental um but even when we talk about Patagonia Patagonia is not just Yvonne. Patagonia is 50 years of employees who have worked together to build this thing that we are today. And it will be another 50 years of new generation of employees that are going to take this thing forward. And, and I think that's really important to remember because we become an employee community that has to live and breathe and work together and figure out how we are going to evolve and shape shift a little bit in order to be able to have the impact that we need to have on the communities around the world today and that can't that is never one person you know you have like these big figures who are really inspiring even Jane Goodall will say you know super inspiring and the first thing she says is I've got an amazing team yeah you know really came across that she had the archive tour with Val and Terry yesterday yeah I really came across that the, the the point that you make about Firstly, like the number of female role models yep. in the history of the company yeah. who were who clearly a key part of that story that they're telling through the archive. Um, and also the collaborative nature of, of the history of this company and the way that ideas seem to be fair game for anybody. You know, like it's not, it's, it feels like it's been driven by, there's a lot of people are given a lot of agency, if you like, it seems mm-hmm. to, to kind of like have ideas and act upon them. So I'd really like to come back to that, that point. Um, 
But the final thing I was going to ask you about, about Jane, because you're a climber, obviously, and there's a really mm-hmm. nice interaction between <laughs> you guys where, you know, she was asking you about that. Yeah. And you used it as a, because you were, you know, she was saying, oh, like, the, you know, soloing, they're all, they're all mad, you know. And you, you used it as a bit of a metaphor for life, really, when you were explaining that to her. You were a bit like, well, you know, it's like you, 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 you kind of set your level where you, where you feel comfortable and you get out of it what you want. And you were, you know, you were sort of talking about it in those terms. I wondered if that's changed for you over the years, the way that you view climbing and, and the relationship that you have with it. Because as you get older, mm-hmm. obviously your risk profile like changes and your relationship, it, but certainly in my case, like what I get out of these activities now that I'm in my mid-40s is really different than what I got out of them in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And probably more, I probably enjoy it more and find it more satisfying yeah. now. I almost feel like I've, what was important to me in my twenties is not is not important to me now, and it feels like the relationships deepened as a result with with things like climbing, surfing, snowboarding, as we were just discussing. Mm-hmm. I wondered if you if that was something that you could recognize. Yeah, yeah, I definitely um, resonate with that idea. I think my relationship with outdoor sports is deeper because I recognize how powerful it is um, and how influential it is to me and my energy levels and happiness and and all the things um my relationship with climbing has definitely changed because my frequency with it is different than it was when I was living on the road as a dirtbag living out of a van and climbing every single day yeah um and that was one of the happiest times of my life now my relationship with climbing is really happy, just different, like what you're saying. And some of the happiest moments for me are when I take my two children out climbing and I get to experience being in nature, running around the smells, learning new plants, climbing on new rocks, talking about the geology, figuring out a route, and watching them get to the top of something that they've just tried really hard on um, and be really proud of themselves. And those are really probably even more special to me these days than my own personal accomplishments in climbing yeah and presumably it was your passion for climbing that led you on this career path initially yep definitely yeah I um I kind of um accidentally got into this industry I guess you would say I had no money I had been on the road climbing and was totally broke and got a job at the local climbing shop up in Seattle feathered friends and I just needed, I needed money and it was what I knew was climbing and that's where my friends were. And so I got a job there and fell in love with this notion of having a career with other people who shared the same passion and value system. Um, I don't think I could have articulated that when I first started, but I was intuitively drawn to showing up to work every day in an environment in which I was surrounded by my friends Um, and so I kind of just stayed in the industry and I got really lucky that I worked hard and people recognized me and kind of pulled me into new jobs and pulled me along in my career until I was far enough for me to take an active role in kind of shaping that a little bit myself. But I have every day been so grateful for that same idea that I get to show up and work with some of my very best friends every single day. And I get to make sure that we're building the very best product for my friends and my community. And I, I really appreciate the, the, um, the drive that that instills in me 
to do a really good job. You know, like if you're building a product, like when I first came to Patagonia, I was building um, Alpine product. And I remember sitting in fit sessions and being like, oh God, I hope my friends think this is great. You know, because the last thing you want to do is go to the crag and have your friends be like, what is this? What did you do? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's that community's such a driver, isn't it? Like of, of um, it sounds like I completely recognize that. And again, you said you didn't rec- you didn't articulate that to yourself at the time yeah but i completely get that like when when i got into the things that ended up setting me on my career path when i look back it was definitely the community that was the yeah. the key element you know that sense of finding your tribe yeah. almost as yeah. and no real um almost like what no like ambitious career path just like how can i do more things that will enable me to to have more of this thing that I'm getting so much out of exactly and how do I give back to this thing that I'm getting so much out of yeah it's a reciprocal relationship that is very satisfying when you figure out like for me it's building product and helping to connect to communities in the outdoor world today because when I go out into the outdoors I see how important it is to me and what it gives back to me in terms of connecting me to nature, connecting me to a mindset that's um, so critical as we think about, you know, the bigger vision of yeah. building a really healthy planet. Yeah, and those themes, like, like I, we were talking earlier and I was saying that while I've been here, def, definitely discerned a few themes that seem to be quite enshrined in the, the DNA of the company and that like storytelling around these themes definitely seems to be one of them, which has been there from the, from the first also this sense of you know how can we protect the places that we play in and -hmm. also like as you said like how can we make things that our peers will you know that will improve the lives of our peers those things seem because there can be a lot of cynicism about Patagonia in the way that like people see it but those things seem to be very very much from the beginning that's been the the reason behind the company really is that something that you recognize yeah there are these fundamental pillars of of who we are and what we're doing here um it's really exciting we um you may know this i'm sure but we are getting ready to move into the the next step of our 100 year journey as a company we often talk about this business um, certainly not in the short term, but more as a really long term business and 100 years, maybe 150 years. Let's hope for we're one of those 200 year old companies. But we've had 50 years of business so far and we've learned so much. And some of those things um, we're recognizing are pillars that will always be with us building product for people to get outdoors and connect to nature. That is like at the heart of what we do and not just building product, but building the very best product, high quality product. But we've been having this interesting conversation lately as we kind of recognize that we've had 50 years of business and we're going into the next 50 of like, what do we want to take with us and what do we want to leave behind? Because You experiment over time and you learn a lot about yourself as a brand and what you're bringing in terms of value to the world. Um, And so we've been talking a lot about like what we bring forward and you mentioned storytelling and that's what made me think about this because we've done a lot of work um, 
around doing incredible storytelling. I'm incredibly proud of the last 50 years of storytelling. A lot of it, though, has been around educating and building awareness around issues. And as we move forward, we're really excited and motivated and committed to not just raising awareness, but actually driving action and inspiring people to take action. There's this reality check of, cool, that's interesting yeah. to bring education and awareness to people. But if it doesn't move to action, if you don't actually change people's behavior, if you don't actually get people to stand up and do something, it's really for nothing. Right. And so it's been a little bit of a kick in the ass for us of like, okay, we can't just sit around and talk. We, yeah. we, we are doers and we need other people to be doers with us. And that's a, that's a shift. It's an evolution. I was going to yeah. ask that. Does that feel like a shift? Because I use, I, I can't think of a better phrase. I'm not sure it's the perfect phrase, but I've been using this phrase, reluctant thought leadership mm-hmm. while I've been here. And that kind of comes from this, you know, the, the, the lineage of, of 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 things that have like shaped this perception of the company as 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 an agent for change if you like so you know reusable pitons like the ventura river kind of campaign like through to organic cotton through to like you know all all the the stories that we're talking about but as we said earlier when we were having a quick coffee like that that wasn't like everyone sat down in 1973 and said like right we're going to create this company and we're going to do this it was very much again like we're talking about driven it seems to me driven by these localized interests that have added up to yep. to the sum of what Patagonia is now and that shift that you talk about because I saw the the TV spot you mm-hmm. know um that that our friend Alex showed me and I think there's a line in there I actually wrote it down I'm just going to check it out because it it was pretty um it's quite punchy it's it's something like you know we're going to basically try and change capitalism like mm. it's 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 mm-hmm. a re- it's, i can't remember the exact line but mm-hmm. it's like it's a very overt call to arms really yeah. you know it's a very it's a very much like actually you know like this th- this is what this company now stands for yeah. so is that is that the shift that you're kind of talking about almost like owning this position now and this and this because for right or wrong the rest of the debate has caught up with where patagonia is you know, suddenly this is a huge theme for all companies. It's a huge, like all companies are doing this. All companies are using story to try and, you know, for whatever motive, like affect these changes. And it feels like that's the shift that you're talking about. It's like flagging the ground. Like, yeah, actually that is who we are. And this is now the future of the company. Is that, is that a sort of fair analysis of it? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think I want to be careful that it's not like we woke up one day and said, we're going to shift into this. No, I, because as I, you're alluding to, it's an organic process in which you grow and you learn and you deepen and you kind of settle into even more so. And I think that's what we're settling into is how do we help drive change? Um, And there's a lot of places that we want to drive change. And there's some places where we feel we have more strength in being able to drive change. Um, And then the other thing that I would say is that I don't know that we own the conversation of changing capitalism and trying to find a better way of using business to be a responsible and positive force um, in the way that it has the power to do so, but is often not used in such a way. But we want to be kind of a galvanizer of many 
because we certainly can't do this alone. But we do hope that we have a voice that can break through the noise in a way that will resonate with other business leaders, with other company employees, with other individual activists on the ground, and that will kind of bring us all together to be a cohesive force for good. Yeah, I guess that's what I mean. I guess I guess the kind of realization or like acceptance acknowledgement you know for, for right or wrong like okay mm-hmm. this is this is the this is the power that we now have and this is this yeah. is how we can use that power in a in a in an overt way i guess that's kind of what i mean with it yep. so where did that where did that come from like this because obviously you've got a pretty big market like 50 years huge announcement last year yeah. um with so i'm guessing this is all tied together maybe is like part of part of this process like how you know like uh, sorry the shareholder how that all came about like the fifth was this all kind of part of the same conversation yes they're all um they're all actions that essentially say how do we use our business to do the right thing and going back a little bit in the conversation We've never been a business that's been a built on um, an intellectual framework of a traditional business, so to speak. Yeah. Um, we are built on heart, connection to community, connection to nature, and individuals really driving to do the right thing. And sometimes that manifests in what looks like traditional business practices. And sometimes that manifests in really unconventional business practices. And we don't judge one as right or, or as like, um, like we're not going to do traditional business practices because that's bad. Yeah. We choose the right answer for what we're trying to do and trying to achieve. And so, you know, the announcement about the ownership structure and the shift there was a moment of like, okay, here's, what, what do we do in this next step to make sure that this company continues on and can have the influence and um, the voice that we want it to have as both a business as well as a contributor to the climate crisis with as much funding as possible, as quickly as possible? You used the phrase, the right answer there. Like, that's quite interesting. Like, how do you know what that is? <laughs> That especially, is a, especially, sorry to interrupt yeah. quickly, but especially when, as you say, this flipping between conventional and, and unconventional, which is one of the things that makes Patagonia such a unique business culture, isn't it? You know, yeah. so how that, that's such an interesting phrase. Like, what what's the marker for that internally? Like, how do you how do you know what the right answer is? That's the beauty of Patagonia. There is no um, quantifiable metric of whether or not this is right or this is wrong. Um, for the most part, I'll say. Uh, but I'm going to take a step back for just a second because I think every business is made up of a bunch of tensions in whatever you're doing. You're always kind of like um, being pulled in a couple different directions. I feel quite strongly Patagonia is one of the um, businesses built with the most intense tensions built into the system. And so it's that same idea that we were just talking about, whether it's like conventional or unconventional business decisions, um, intuition versus data led, um, uh, 
Uh, I mean, there's so many of them. And the right decision for us essentially always comes back to um, either our old mission statement or our purpose for right now, which is that we are in business 100% to be part of saving this home planet that we all love. And so we do that in a multitude of different ways. And and this is kind of the framework, so to speak, that allows us to be like, okay, do we think we're making the right decision based on everything we know today? Yeah. And um, information is coming up and changing vastly. And so we never hold on to the fact that like, maybe that was the right decision five years ago, but now we have new information and the decision is different. So product creation is a perfect example of this. Um, We are fully committed and will always be committed to building the highest quality product for end use. We take it out into the field, we beat it up, we make sure that it's like really bomber in terms of durability and functionality. But another really important aspect of quality is the environmental impact. And that is one that we have been learning more and more about. Even just in the last decade, we have learned so much about the environmental footprint of the materials that we're using, the manufacturing practices that we're using, the workers in our system and how we're treating our workers and paying our workers. And so the questions become, should we pay an additional fee to make sure that the workers in our supply chain are paid a fair wage. Yes. Like, how could you say no to that? So then the answer is yes. And then, and then the work becomes, okay, then how do we build that into the cost structure of the product? And how do we help the customer to understand that that's built in so that they'll pay a little bit extra in order to make sure that all the way down the line, the workers are all paid a fair wage. So that's just an example. We're working a lot right now on um, how we design a product from the very beginning so that it can be easily taken apart and recycled at the end of its life to avoid going into a landfill. So then you come to questions like, well, should we use two materials or one material? You're like, well, okay, we now have enough information to be able to say clearly, if we can make it out of one material, a mono material is going to be much easier to be able to break down at the end of its life. So that's the right decision yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so those are kind of examples of how we build the framework in order to be able to make the best make what we think is the right decision in the moment based on all the information that we have and we don't get it right every time well it feels it feels like that problem solving ethos as you describe it there is again another thing it's kind of another of the themes that i've clocked while i've been here really Mm. feels like from the beginning it's like i was saying there's a lot of agency for people to make mistakes there's a lot of agency for people to have ideas and to and to run with them and, and and not be worried if they fail because that which is you know which is a bit sort of business book 101 sort of stuff but but that again does feel like it's 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 a really important part of this company and a really important part of how it's ended up with this position if you like yeah is that yeah. something that you that you recognize yeah i mean at the very beginning that's how Yvonne started Chenard equipment and the hard goods business was simply because he felt like he could make a better product. Yeah. Um, and that is a very strong thread throughout here. And certainly um, product sits at the heart of kind of our business, but you can take that into every single aspect of our business, whether it's accounting or it's um, storytelling or it's any of the many, many facets of our business that you know make us run. It's that same ethos to like 
being curious, questioning, and making sure that you're doing the right thing. Um, And under this purpose that's so powerful that we all have come together here at Patagonia because we believe in a thriving future that is going to require humans to come back into balance with the natural world. And how do we do that as a, as a business? How do we emulate what we need to do on a really big scale? Um, and you get a group of a couple thousand people together around the world who all believe in that same thing and are curious and p- problem solving. Yeah. And on one hand, you have to kind of keep it contained because you don't have resources to just go like flying, flying after everything. Um, but it becomes really powerful. It becomes really energizing to work in that type of environment with, with that many people who are committed to the same thing as you. Yeah. Use the word tension earlier, mm. which is another interesting word. And one of the, you all seem pretty happy to, to be quite upfront about that tension, mm. to own that tension because I that, love the tension. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> like you say, all businesses have it, but it's one of the public perceptions of Patagonia you know it's the very obvious criticism you know like oh well the best thing you could do for the environment is to stop making things yep yep um it's fair enough for like a privately owned company to to say it's the only shareholder because there's no board you know like the you've heard this many many times yep. and one of the things I've been quite interested in is like how well two things actually how how much everyone's just quite happy to address that head on but also like how those are not new arguments. Like, mm. you know, like th- this is whether it's been, there's clearly been points in the company's history where those arguments have constantly been leveled. But occasionally there's like a huge big ticket story like the like last year where suddenly like everyone th- comes at it again as if it's a new criticism, you know. Like mm. it, is, is that a sign of a, a confident company? The fact that you're all happy to to just address these these this this tension inwardly and, and then outwardly when challenged on it? Um that's a great question. I think I think it is um I think it's what makes us tick. And so to try to run away from it or fix it so to speak would be detrimental to our business. Like Um, we live in a world of tensions and we were talking about this earlier, you know, everything that we're trying to move forward, trying to do better, there is no perfect silver bullet solution. There is no one answer to how we're going to reduce carbon emissions within our supply chain. There is no one answer to how we're going to get people to shift and change the way that they think about consuming stuff. Um, these are things that are going to take multifaceted approaches and many different solutions. And so living in the tension allows you to be thinking about multiple ways to approach a situation, I think. And when you take away that, um, that like special, um, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like in the tension, there is a burning that brings the best ideas out and um, pushes you forward. And when when you try too hard to like 
create a, a business or an organization that doesn't have those tensions yeah. because it will like supposedly flow better and everyone will just like be more clear on what they're supposed to do you find that those companies are really bland and they're yeah. not coming up with big solutions. No, and they're, I, I, they tend to be the ones who just like follow behind everybody else because they don't know what else to do. Yeah, you know? I completely agree with that. Because what I was going to say there is like, there's a pragmatism to this and a, and, a, and a realism to it. Because as you were saying earlier, it's nuanced. It sounds like the most obvious thing to say in the world, but I mean, it's complicated. You know, we were just talking about the Ulex and chlorineoprene thing and like that, that is not a simple like it's a simple story yeah but it's not a simple solution yeah and then that's just one example you know like and again i think one of the things that's been yeah. interesting spending a couple of days here is is how pragmatic everybody is about these things it's like well yeah there's no there's no magic wand you you, you know like you said there's no silver bullet yeah like yeah. It, it and see, and the ownership structure is a perfect example of this i get asked all the time leading the business of patagonia like oh in the ownership structure like did everything change in your business? And my answer is no. It's actually more complex than ever before. I have even more tensions than I had before because now I'm working to run a really responsible but highly profitable business that other businesses want to look to and emulate because ultimately that is one of the most influential things we can do yeah. is help others run a more responsible, less impactful business in this manufacturing of apparel and equipment world that we're all in and be able to kind of continue to commit to this environmental crisis that needs us faster more boldly than ever before um and that's like a you know that tension is 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 special but i i'm always surprised when people think that because the ownership structure happened that it must have simplified my life or like made my made the business so much easier people assume <laughs> like, people assume that do they yeah why, why do you think that is because to me it just looked like like the ultimate Yvonne problem to solve <laughs> yeah, exactly do you know what I mean like exactly because right, chatting to Ryan yesterday as well he was very because I think one of the questions Ryan got yesterday was again about this like lead industry leadership thing and and about that whole uh you know well it's easy for you like you don't have a board and all that and he and he was a bit like that all came afterwards you know like all these considerations yeah. came afterwards yeah what actually happened was and I'm sure you were involved but like is we basically got asked to, to solve this problem. Yeah, exactly. And solve it in the right way. And is that so that's how it was. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a complex problem. Yeah. It was a really tricky problem. And it took into account like as with everything in this business, like I said before, it's not just an intellectual like problem. It's an intellectual and an emotional problem. Yeah. Because this isn't just some like business over here. Like this is this is our work. This is our, and our work is bigger than, you know, we are a product driven company. This is how we build connection to customers. This is how we build trust and start to be able to bring them into story and education and eventually hopefully move them into action. But this is, this business is about saving our home planet. Like that's, we're emotionally connected to that. And so that even that problem of the ownership structure was both an emotional problem to solve and an intellectual problem to solve. And you got to find the right answer that fits both of those. And that informs the stories that you tell, I assume, as well. Yeah. So which makes it a really good kind of, you know, 
example of the of the the process that obviously happens here because from that i imagine then you get the the story that you want to tell the new story that you want to tell about the company yeah. i guess that's kind of what i was getting at earlier when i was asking did that inform the the future vision that you that you're talking about like for, from now for like the future of patagonia and what it looks like did, did, was that process that you've just described is that what fed into that this idea about what it can be in the next 50 years yeah one of the most beautiful things about what Yvonne and Melinda and Chris Tompkins, who kind of worked here for a long time, and all the people who kind of started at the beginning of Patagonia, nobody's attached. Nobody feels like it's got to stay exactly as it is. And so when the ownership structure problem was put on the table or, um, you know, there's some new... um, environmental concern that we're really worried about we gets put on the table whatever it is like we're not committed to believing that our business in a hundred years has to look exactly like it looks today and so what do we what are the tools that we have today what's the knowledge what's the um emotional drive that we have today how do we bring all that to answer the solutions and be totally open to adapting evolving changing so today our ownership structure looks different than it did a year ago you know and that's a really healthy thing for a business and our business structure the categories the communities that we're committed to are different than when we started out when we started out it was surf and climb today we do fly fishing and mountain biking and trail running and skiing and snowboarding and you know we're connected to to communities that we weren't connected to originally in such powerful ways and that's really important too and so I think um I I think I think being really open to to listening and figuring out where we can help um, push things forward today is is one of the really special pieces of this company. Never being attached to like this is our business. This is exactly what we're doing. We have a couple pillars, like we talked about. Like yeah. we will never waver on building the very best quality product. Yeah, um, that sits at the heart of everything that we do because we know that's how we build trust and loyalty with our community. Um, but what those products look like will most definitely shift and change over time. Well, it feels like that, you know, again, obvious comment, but product is clearly one of the, the vanguards of this change, isn't it? You know, whether you can innovate in supply chain, yep. whether you can innovate in material, that's where it happens, right? Yep. You know, and that's, again, been a key part of this since yep. the beginning, you yep. know. Um, one of the questions I did have, when we I had a chat with Kim, I think it was, about supply chain yesterday. Yeah. Um, and during that conversation, a really interesting comment was made, which kind of connects to this idea that there's been a paradigm shift in the way that the the, 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 the world, the business world, and the generally sees these issues, which was that change is now being driven almost like an invest, like a, an investment level, you know, like in a in a for the businesses. Is that something that you you see? Like market forces now are having much more of an influence on the way that this conversation is being shaped rather than like individual companies and and then further down like consumers um in the supply chain in general i I, I more mean like a i'm more meaning like a kind of top line investment company investment level you know like in climate and climate solutions all business so like you know like blue chip business you know like this this idea that 
companies aren't going to get investment unless they posit solutions to this. Is this something that it's a couple of things comments that I've heard recently where you know it's because like like we talked about it can either be consumer-led change yep. it can be company-led change yep. or it can be market-led change and I guess what I'm asking is, is if have you seen more influence of the market shaping these 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 changes in terms of the environmental conversation yes definitely not fast enough but definitely we're seeing it happen um and this goes back to my comment about there being no silver bullet solution i think we do need all of them we need governments to get involved we need policy change we need um on the ground grassroots organizing we need businesses We, we need it all right we need everyone to kind of be moving because at any point one of those could spark momentum and that momentum can be really powerful once it gets going. But it does take um, – it takes something to get it going. Yeah. And this is one of the things we've been thinking about a lot. We are such strong believers in grassroots organizing, communities on the ground, having a voice and being powerful. And we're also recognizing the power of pairing that with policy and action there, which can be some of the fastest way to make movement um and so in the supply chain what gets really tricky um in the work that we're doing within the supply chain is the international component of it and trying to understand how we can help and the fact that we don't own our supply chains obviously so we're working with our supply chain partners many of whom we've worked with for a very very long time and have really deep relationships with them but the incentives to get them to move off of really dirty coal-fired machinery for example which is a massive contributor to the carbon emissions problem of the world and get them to move on to clean energy is a lot if you're running you know if, if I have empathy for for the partner who's in let's call it Taiwan and they've got their business it's a lot of work for them to shut down their supply chain put in new machinery still pay for their workers like keep keep it running in the way that that we want them to keep it running and yet we have to so how do we make sure that it's um that transition is supported and that has to happen at a bigger level than just individuals saying that they want to purchase product made from clean energy. Yeah. That's part of it. But there also needs to be systemic help in those transitions that are incredibly expensive, they're time-consuming, and in many cases, they're complex and difficult. That makes a lot of sense. So you are seeing this systemic appetite for for the... Because, you know, what you're saying is multifaceted like needs to be a combination needs to be consumer company market systems which is quite not depressing but you know like you've been really clear on and everyone here has been really clear on the pace of this change is not you know you said it's not quick enough but does appear to be the kind of pattern really that that that's the kind of deal with this really yeah I mean I think that's the problem at the moment is that we're all swimming in trying to find solutions and climate is still relatively new to the conversation for businesses and how we're going to clean up our act and the ultimate tension (laughs) yeah exactly and so everyone's kind of swimming in these ideas and the the challenge that i can 
hope that Patagonia can help lead through, and I hope anyone who's running a business and listening to this hears me sincerely, which is for us not to not to create a bunch of dis- disparate solutions, although we may need, again, there's no silver bullet necessarily, yeah. but for us to come together and not have this be our competitive advantage, but to have it be a moment of collaboration so that we can move faster and do this better. And with all of our brains coming together to figure this out, because once we get through this, we have plenty of other things we can compete on and and have our little advantages in our business world. Um, but this should not be one. And this is a moment to see if we can actually rise to that occasion. Can we actually come together as businesses that normally think about competing with one another and say, let's solve this problem together? Because if we don't, we will have no no planet to be yeah. running a business on, <laughs> yeah. you, uh, you know, yeah. like it's it, so that I think that's a really I think that this is a this is going to be a really important moment for us to see if we can do that. And are you seeing that happen? I am seeing I am encouraged. I'm not seeing it happen yet. Yeah, because again, that's almost like a contradiction when it comes to capitalism, isn't it? It is. Competition literally yep. baked in. Yep. So there's a lot to unpick there, isn't there? Competition versus collaboration. Yeah. It's, it's an important shift. And again, in the tensions that we're talking about, my request to these companies is not like put down all your competition in all respects. But in some of these respects, I say the same thing when I talk about um, paid leave and a support system around um you know, just creating a healthy support system for families in the United States. You know, you come from a different world, but here in the U.S., it's absolutely asinine that we don't support our workers I, with a federal paid leave program. I, I mean, I can't believe the holidays over here. <laughs> I, I mean, it probably sounds quite glib, but someone yesterday was saying like, I oh, yeah, really get 10 days holiday a year over here. And I was, I was incredulous. <laughs> I know. I was like, we'd be writing in the streets back home about, you know. Yeah. About and that. like, we're not going to pay you. We need, you know, you can take time off if you want after you have a baby, but we're not going to pay you for that. Like, I mean, that, that just seems it, incredible. It's just absolutely, it's awful. It's yeah. so disrespectful. And because we have a really robust support system at Patagonia, yeah, we may go above and beyond what others want to do, but like, I don't want that to be our competitive. That shouldn't be Patagonia's competitive no. advantage. Like no, I totally, I totally see what you're saying. That should be, yeah. That's just so, that's just leading, isn't it? Ultimately, it, I uh, mean, it's just respect. It's yeah, just yeah. caring about the people who you know you're working day yeah. in and day out that's with. Just, and, that, that, that's beyond like kind of companies competing, isn't it? Like you say, that's just yeah. that, that almost that, that's almost like you know back in the day when just arguments about rights isn't it which which companies did did lead to a certain extent you know when you when you look back in history and the rights that we enjoy now particularly in europe i mean a lot of that was company led a lot of it was was protest led and trade union led for sure but yeah and that's my point is that that i feel the same way about carbon emissions yeah. and how we get after that no, problem I get it. it's that's a good just a right to workers to have clean air and clean water and yeah. you know to get us out of this carbon problem that we have right now that's not a that's not a that's not a business advantage yeah (laughs) that's like makes total sense yeah yeah well um i normally end by asking people like you know they're like oh what advice have you got for people blah 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 but i think what's really interesting about our conversation you know as you say one of the themes that we've had here is tension and the tension that you describe is certainly something that consumers feel 
like every consumer feels it mm-hmm. in the same especially every they're conscious you can't not be aware of the impact that you have and and they're just this feeling of helplessness you know this this pragmatism all these themes that we're talking about like how you plot your way through this is is equally as important for consumers as it is for companies and systems and i wondered if you had any thoughts on that really um in terms of like it could be you know a question often ask is like oh what advice have you got for people that want to get into activism or whatever Mm. i'm thinking a bit i'm sure you know what i mean like i'm thinking a bit more on the the kind of um the level of this tension that we're talking about I think my my it's not even advice. My request to every single individual is to not be passive in that tension. As we started out talking about, it's good to educate yourself. It's good to be aware. It's good to be conscious. But it's most important to do something. And so every time you make a decision, that may not be the right decision a year from now, but you make the very best decision that you can today, knowing everything that you know. But if you just know and you don't take action, um, and that is, you know, that could be writing letters to your, you know, local governor. It could be um, your choices and what you could, what products you buy, whether you buy new, whether you buy used, whether you buy quality. Um, it could be writing to a company and telling them what you want to see and hear. It could just be kind of going to marches and, and doing the activism pieces. But the most important thing is not to be passive. We don't have the ability to be passive when we have generations that are coming behind us. And they are, you know, we're, we're not leaving behind a planet that's going to allow them to be passive. So we shouldn't be passive today. So there you go. That was my chat with Jenna Johnson and that was type two. Yeah, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, we are quietly drawing this iteration of type two to a close. And what an absolute pleasure it's been to work on this format for the past four years with my friends at Patagonia. I've been lucky enough to speak to some brilliant minds and really delve into this topic of activism as it intersects with the world of the outdoors and action sports. It's also been a real pleasure to see how the Look Inside Rose community has responded to this evolving format. I'm lucky enough to get a lot of correspondence from readers and listeners, and I've been um, really heartened to see how people have taken the lessons of Type 2 to form their own movements or how it's informed their own individual take on activism, which is obviously something that I'm really proud of and a great legacy for Type 2 itself. So why are we closing Type 2 in its current form it felt like a good time um i started chatting to the team at patagonia europe about this towards the end of 2021 and we just sort of reached the conclusion that it's a good point to go out on a high really 30 is a good round number this trip was coming up we're also plotting some new um projects i'm going to be doing some um short series of podcasts in association with patagonia this year and hopefully next year so we're working on those right now and obviously i will be um, talking about those on the podcast and in the newsletter as they become um, closer to becoming reality let's say but yeah i've had a brilliant time making type two and i'll be writing a, a typically comprehensive blog as people that read my Substack will know um in which I'll be going into quite a lot more detail about how we've, why, how and why we've decided to bow at the top with Type 2. So you can sign up to that by um, heading to my Substack, lookingsideways.substack.com, or you can head to my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com, where there's a nice big easy sign-up thing. So yeah, thanks for listening to this episode, and thanks for all the Type 2 support over the years. 
Um, if you are into what I do, like I say, Substack is the place to um, connect. As they say, I post three times a week over there, my much-loved 10 Things newsletter, which goes out every Friday. Then there's a podcast every Sunday, and then every Tuesday, usually a blog, a guest post, or an open thread. But having some really amazing conversations on the open threads recently. There was a brilliant one about um, how men can be better allies to women uh, a week or so ago, which if you've not had a look at, I would highly recommend, especially if you're a man, um, prepare to have your eyes opened and um, be humbled a little bit, I would say. All right, thanks for listening. I'll be back with a regular episode of Looking Sideways soon. In the meantime, nice one. Mm-hmm.